Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Robinson, and today I am here with Reverend Gracie Millard. Merry Christmas, Gracie. Merry Christmas, Alyssa. Happy Advent. Yes, happy Advent. (laughs) I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you because we're talking about the big picture of Christmas. And so our question today is, what is the big picture? What is the big picture of Christmas? And I think uh, a lot of times we think of Christmas and Advent as the beginning of the story, the beginning of our Mm -hmm. faith. Uh, It's our first introduction to Jesus Mm -hmm. and what the entire Christian faith is founded on. And so we're like, okay, now the work begins. But if we actually take a look into the Hebrew Bible, into the stories leading up to this moment, Mm -hmm. we see that God has been at work for a very long time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Leading up into this moment. And so it's almost like the birth of Jesus isn't the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. We're like mid story. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Maybe chapter two. Mid reels. Yeah. Yeah. Act two. Act two. Um, Love that. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to go back in time. We're going to look at some of the prophecies. We're going to try to understand uh, the significance because I think if we look at the big picture of Christmas, Mm -hmm. it actually, it, it does this weird thing where like it makes the Christmas story feel smaller and bigger at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like this, you know, when you have like those weird existential moments that you feel so fa- small and insignificant, but it also, also makes so important. God <laughs> feels so big yeah. and important and that you're a part of this tapestry. Yep. Uh, that's kind of what we're going to try yep. to explore today is yep. that feeling of big and small <laughs> all at the same time, all at the same time. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's start at the very beginning of the story. Let's, let's start there. Yeah, it's let's go into the Hebrew scriptures and maybe even all the way back in Genesis. Yeah. I don't know. Like, can you shed some light on the prophecies foretelling like the birth of a Messiah and how they set the stage for the events leading up to Christmas? Hmm. Sure. So... One thing to note is that not all Jewish people, it wasn't even that the Messiah was, he wasn't like their end goal of, it was always all about God for the Jewish people, uh, about Yahweh. So they, as you see uh, prophecies and as they write, how they write about the Messiah is not really... um, it's not as grand as we tend to lift up who this Messiah really is. Cause we truly understand the Messiah to be this, to be truly God, mm. God, fully God. Um, whereas this Messiah, they more saw this Messiah as somebody who was going to deliver them from political, mostly political oppression. Cause Israel was under foreign rule for most of their existence. Mm. And so, um, a lot of this of the scriptures about the Messiah are really telling about a, a lot a lot about deliverance and salvation. And so it's not that they didn't revere a Messiah, but I don't they wouldn't have worshipped a Messiah. Mm. So it's almost like a second Moses mm-hmm. that yes. they were waiting for. There was for. another yes. Yeah. yes. Because I, I I do think that um we've also often had the mentality of like the Jewish people are just sitting around waiting right. for the Messiah. And then Jesus came and they're like, no, not him. And they're still sitting around waiting. Right, right. For the and Messiah. so we're like, guys, there's one already. Yeah. <laughs> like you can stop waiting. But it is interesting that that's not really the attitude or the view of what Messiah is. So would they have, would it have been more of like, waiting for a prophet or that's sort of what the comparison is often you throughout the gospels sometimes they'll compare jesus to elijah um to moses and so they'll they don't they're sort of comparing it to a pro- they're like is he like 
another prophet? Is that this who this is, this somebody who's going to deliver us? Um, so that's sort of their comparison. And I am not uh, an expert in Jewish uh, theology. So take what I say with a grain of salt about uh, about their beliefs about the Messiah, but as I understand it. Um, there And then there were, um, like, there were certain sects of uh, the Jewish practice, like Pharisees and Sadducees. And so some of them had stronger, uh, had more, put more emphasis on a Messiah than others. Um, so it wasn't like that was their main focus of their faith. Their main focus of their faith was always Yahweh. So when was the first mention that mm. a Messiah could be coming? Depends on what you want to qualify, because in Second Samuel uh, is this part of the story of David. And so that's kind of one of the first, if you can count that, I don't know if, I don't know if they would count that as uh, tracing it to a Messiah, but uh, that's where God makes this covenant with David and says, your kingdom will last forever. Like through you, your kingdom will have no end. Second Samuel seven, I'll raise up offspring after you uh, and I will establish your kingdom. He will build a house for my name and his, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. Uh, when he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use. Da, 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 da. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took from Saul. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever and your throne will be established forever. So a lot about your kingdom is going to last forever. Um, and so that's where they understood that his that the rule that David's rule was going to last forever, that the kingdom of God, uh, oh, sorry, not kingdom of God, that um, God would rule through David's line forever. Um, and that's what you would call Z the Zionist theology. Um, so this lifting up of David's line. So I don't know that they would call that a Messiah. Uh, they would trace that as a Messiah, but that comes before the prophets. And so there, then there's prophecy. Um, and I don't know what order they go in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Let's just do it as a cluster. But, yeah. Um, so the prophets uh, exist after David's rule, or the prophets, the books so, that we so, call prophets. Sorry, before we move yeah. on to the prophets. Yeah, yeah. So us as Christ followers, uh -huh. are we just looking in that covenant between David and God in hindsight saying, oh, this is what God was referring to. But really, like, there are plenty of examples of kingdoms mm -hmm. saying, oh, our family line are, will rule forever, you know, that right. sort of thing. Right. But so because sometimes I wonder how much of it is actually uh, a precursor to Jesus and how much of it is, is us assigning meaning in, to yeah. something that that just Post to like script. self fulfilling yeah. prophecy sort right. of thing. Right. Um, that's a really, that's a really good point. Um, because I, <laughs> maybe I'll get excommunicated for this. <laughs> I struggle to think of a singular instance. Um, Isaiah probably has the most um, direct words about about somebody coming to save Israel, um, and he has it th throughout the books. And there's a whole section where he talks about this suffering servant. Um, but yeah, that would be hard to say that this there's this scripture where it says, and the Messiah is coming, blah, 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 blah. Um, so it is a lot of reading, looking, looking at who Jesus is, and then looking back at the scriptures and be like, oh, God has actually promised this all along, just not in a way we thought. Yeah. Um, so I can see where it starts to feel like sticky going like, 
oh, see, like, because he had brown hair, it said he was going to have brown hair. Like it says that or like that kind of thing. Um, Well, and I think maybe this is a good opportunity for us to talk about the role of prophets before mm -hmm. we like we get into the prophecy, because I think a lot of times we think of prophets as like fortune tellers Mm -hmm. and that's not what a prophet is in scripture. So could you give us a little definition of what it is to be a prophet, what their role was within the Jewish faith and what that means for prophecies that are being told and so that we're not thinking of it in like a Harry Potter. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I'll do my best here. Um, So prophets were raised up by God to give a message to people often to Israel, but sometimes to other nations uh, to deliver a message from God. God gives, raises up a prophet and gives the prophet a message to share with the people, whoever God has called them to share this message with. And um, you did not want to (laughs) be, this is not the role that you wanted. You did not want to be raised up as a prophet from God. Um, It, it, they were very unpopular because they were telling often calling out what the reality is that they see in the world of um, often. I mean, I think of Amos off the bat is calling out how they are treating people that, you know, they're taking advantage of people who are poor and they are the uh, priests are not being righteous. The righteousness is is self-righteousness. And so what the prophets often are saying is this is how things are. And if you continue in this way, this is the inevitable consequences or what, of what's going to happen. Not, uh, not this, um, telling the future, like you said, but like, Hey, this is the reality. And this is the path we're going towards. If you don't stop, like, then this is what, this is going to be our, our reality. It's it's almost it makes me think of that phrase like the people who see the writing on the wall. Yeah, it's like yeah. I see all of these pieces coming together yeah. and like the logical conclusion mm-hmm. is that X is going to happen if we continue on this path, right. yeah. which still happens today. Oh, like yeah. there are still prophets today. I think of prophets as people who speak truth to power, mm. who, and like you said, very unpopular yeah. because power does not like, <laughs> we don't <laughs> want to know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to see, be told we're doing things wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to change the way that we live because we're quite comfortable. Or, or we don't want to be made to feel like the way that we live is unethical right, in any way. Right. You know, and yeah. that can make you uncomfortable as well. Right. It's like, I don't want to rock the boat here. Right. Um, just let me live my life, right. you know? <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. So prophets, um, they often endured like symbolically what uh, I, mean, I think of Ezekiel and like symbolized this is you know, what could happen to you and undergo, they just lived, (laughs) would have been terrible to be a prophet. Um, and so, but the, the thing that all prophets do offer is a message of hope from God too. That's like, God is seeing this and God doesn't like what is going on, but God will deliver you. Like God has not left you. Um, God will not leave you. Um, so there is always a message of hope. Well, from and the I, I feel like it often comes with the we can fix this yeah, like, mentality of yeah. like, hey, here's the doom and gloom that could happen if we continue on this path. But yeah. the good news is we don't have to continue right. on this path. Yes. And that's where the people run the prophets out of town because they're right. like, we don't want to change. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> like maybe we can probably it's probably fine how we're doing it right now. Yeah. I don't think he's so so okay. So now that we've set that table, what are some of the prophecies around the coming of Christ? Mm-hmm. And what like what was the bad news, good news that mm. the prophets were telling us? If it mm. was like, hey, continue on this path, this will happen, but here's the good news. Yeah hope is coming. Yes. So I think first and mostly of Isaiah's uh, prophecies that he talks a lot about a suffering servant who um, will come to, to save Israel. There's a lot of salvation language, um, but he is identified as a servant um, so that he is a more humble, lowly person 
um, and that he indeed bears some suffering uh, on behalf of Israel. Um, but the message of hope is that um, that God is always working to reconcile Israel uh, back to God, that God is pointing out these uh, behaviors that Israel is taking part in and saying like, this is not what I've, this is not what I desired for you. Do you see how this is hurting your relationship with each other and me? Um, that ultimately how you're acting is not how I created you to act. And even though, but God gives us free will. So this is how they've chosen to act. Um, God is always working to try to re restore our relationship from the beginning, uh, from how it was in the very beginning where God dwelled with us mm -hmm. in the very beginning. So when in relation to the birth of Jesus, how far before hmm. that was Isaiah? <laughs> a lot of the prophets are hard to identify a time uh, within like specific centuries. Isaiah can be traced up to like 800-ish years pre-BC. Uh, um, but there, I don't believe Isaiah is the first there were concurrent prophets. So there were some that were happening at the same time. Um, so it's definitely, I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, that's what I wonder is like, okay, so thinking about <laughs> the way that we function today, which is kind of a silly comparison mm -hmm. and like the 24 hour news cycle mm -hmm. of like, it would, it takes a pretty major event to last more than a week. Like mm -hmm. it's a worldwide event mm -hmm. that has to occur that affects like millions of people yeah. for it to be at the top of the news cycle for longer than 24 hours. Yeah. And so and you could talk about our attention as whatever, but, but when we're looking at prophecy made 800 years mm -hmm. prior, like how does that not become white noise? to the people like it it I don't know like I think about that a lot of like why so far in advance mm. like why would God Gracie mm. why would God <laughs> do that of like this slowly unfolding over mm. hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years mm -hmm. it almost is like we're being lulled in yeah as opposed to like the shock and awe of right immediate christ is here you know right. is is there like a strategy to that <laughs> like is that <laughs> is that is there a benefit to that i don't know like it's just that is because we look really at it I, I, everything that we look at we're looking at with hindsight right, right. Mm -hmm. but the truth is this story is still unfolding mm -hmm. we are still and so like what will people be saying about us and the way that we interpret scripture mm -hmm. and like the continuation of scripture yeah. a thousand years from now right you know right. and like how we're a part of this story it just right. I don't know it it just is mind-boggling to it me it is it is hard to try to figure out why God timed things the way it happened. Um, I wish I had a good answer for you. Well, I know I can't, um, you can't have an answer. But it, no, but it is, it is. And uh, I mean, the prophets prophecies or the prophets uh, went on for hundreds of years, but then you have that from Malachi, who's that latest prophet around the four hundreds. Then you have those silent years where they don't, uh, we, there aren't recorded um, words from God that, so they call them like the silent years. Um, not that God wasn't working or God was absent, but for, for some reason there were not prophets raised up. There were not. Uh, or, and that's another thing that blows my mind too, is like, well, maybe there were, and it just mm -hmm. wasn't written down. Right. It wasn't documented or it somehow got yeah. lost along the way. Like and maybe that had all the answers. I know. <laughs> maybe like, that was uh, the one with all the answers. What else do we not know? <laughs> um, but yeah, because we only get insight into the few bits that are written down and passed down through oral tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, it's this, it's this big question mark. Mm-hmm. One of, one of the things that you said as you're talking about the prophecy is like, um, that Jesus was dwelling with God in the beginning. Mm. And so I kind of want to talk about like that Genesis angle mm-hmm. of all this. Cause I know like the book of John starts mm-hmm. with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, thank you. <laughs> oh, I got a very good from a pastor. <laughs> um, and so what y'all don't see is I don't have a Bible she in does front not of me. Have a Bible. I just, I do. And yeah. I was double checking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so there are people who talk about like at the beginning of time, Jesus was sitting mm. with God. Mm. That's something that's really difficult for me mm-hmm. to wrap my mind around mm-hmm. of what that means. Right. And like, when did Jesus become a part of mm-hmm. the plan? Right. Do you have any, I mean, of course we're not going to have answers, but I'm just right. curious, like, do you have any thoughts around that? Have you done any mental gymnastics <laughs> around that? So one thing to that's going to take word gymnastics to try to articulate that um, this second person of the Trinity that we sort we talked about the Trinity in the past couple weeks um, that it's the Christ, the Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the son that has existed from the beginning, um, perhaps not the human being Jesus in the form of Jesus first century Jew, um, that was, you know, sitting somewhere in, you know, outer space. (laughs) Like, um, so if you can think of Christ as, uh, as God, that that second person of the Trinity has been in existence from the beginning. Um, so Christ, not simply Jesus's last name, but a figure, a role, um, a ti- a title, an anointed one. Um, so, I mean, that gets into a whole other theological concept of the incarnation and being fully human, fully divine. But um, that's the best I could do to, to kind of art- to try to sort of put that on a shelf of saying that's how it was in the beginning. Well, it's funny that you bring up the incarnation oh, because no. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did want to ask about that a little bit. And I know we could do an entire episode on the incarnation, definitely um, could. but, but you, can you shed some light on the concept of mm-hmm. incarnation and, and what that means and how it's integral to like the big picture of Christmas. Oh, yes. I mean, again, don't take <laughs> what I say is end all be all. Um, but the incarnation is literally the embodied um, in flesh. Um, so previously, God had dwelled solely in the temple, uh, according to scripture. That is where God dwelled. Um, and some would say, uh, like I think it's St. Francis that um, the first incarnation is creation itself. Um, so that because carnate uh, because creation reflects God's glory, creation is the first uh, tangibility of God that mm-hmm. we. Um, well, and it's the beginning of the language of death and resurrection. Sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so incarnation. So in that way, um, there is a first incarnation, not that God is the earth, but that the earth is the first tangibility of God. Um, but the incarnation is the doctrine that the fullness of God dwelled in the person of Jesus Christ, um, the fullness of God. So not uh, not like part of God was down here and part of God was up there, but knowing that, you know, what we hold, God is a paradox. If you can just hold that God is a paradox, then you can get on board with that. God is fully hold in. the tension folks. Hold so you it. Can do yeah, it. You, I believe in you, <laughs> uh, fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, it wasn't some sort of hybrid or half and half, but, um, that's, that's based. I mean, that's the simple definition of incarnation. And I, part of your question was, why is this integral to the big picture. Um, I think the incarnation is 
just the clearest depiction of God with us. And that to me sums up the whole God's whole story. Um, if it, I mean, that's putting it woefully simplistically, but uh, that God has always wanted to be with us. That has always been the goal um, is God with us, us with God. And so incarnation is like a whole new understanding of what God with us means mm -hmm. because God with us had been language that's been used of God saying, I am with you. Um, I will, I, you know, throughout scripture in the old Testament that God says, I am with you. I will go with you. I, God is with them, but this gives a whole new mm -hmm. understanding to what it means that God is with us. Well, and I'm curious about, so it, it is interesting, the thought that the first iteration of incarnation was creation, the mm -hmm. creation story and the fullness. So that would mean based on the definition of incarnation, that the fullness of God was imbued in creation. Mm -hmm. um, at what point did we say, because it, it sounds like there were two different stories. So that would mean if, if the first incarnation happened at creation, that that would mean God is within and among everything, mm -hmm. everything that is created. Mm -hmm. God is fully within hmm. everything. Yeah. And then we transitioned to within um, some of the Hebrew scriptures saying, well, God lives in the temple. Mm -hmm. So when did it become that hmm. of this idea? Because it it's not Moses because God wasn't limited. Right. That that feels limiting sure. to God. Right, right, right. And saying this is where God lives. God lives in the temple. But, sure. But we've seen so many examples of God showing up and that's in grand ways outside sure. of a temple. Sure. And I mean, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. That mm -hmm. is pre-temple, pre-Ark of the Covenant. Um, no, that's, that's a good question. And if we can hold the paradox of God being everywhere and fullness in one place, but also the earth didn't cease to exist. So God was everywhere. Um, I think you could attribute that we as a Christian, uh, faith attribute it back to, uh, probably the separate our first sort of separation from God, which is um, when we choose to go against God when with that first choice of not of not listening to God when and choosing to eat from the tree. Um, so you could attribute it to that is when the beginning of the relationship or when the relationship began to uh, shift or, or change. Um, where we needed to now be reconciled to God again. Yeah. It feels like this constant ebb and flow of like an explosion of God. God is so big and undeniable. And then our feeble human minds were like, okay, let's take that, put it in a box, <laughs> like create right. a system around it, a construct around it to try to understand it. Right. And then God once again is like, nope, I'm bigger than that. Right. Like, and we're like, okay, now let's take this, gather this all up and put that in a different let's box. Let's make a bigger box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and let's, oh, Jesus is here. Oh my gosh. Now we got to create a box around Jesus. Jesus, right. you know, yeah. oh, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Trinity. And yeah. like, we're just, we're trying to put language to yes. something that doesn't have and language. over and over again, God is like, I'm bigger than that. I'm explosive. I'm expansive. Mm -hmm. I'm all of these things mm -hmm. that, and it is, it's holding the paradox of like big and small, everything and nothing like, mm -hmm. and just being able to hold that tension. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have this physical presence of Jesus mm -hmm. among us, God with us, mm -hmm. that it's almost like God's finally like, okay, let me just show you what I mean, mm. you know? <laughs> um, or it's almost like God was like, I can't wait to show them what I mean. Like yeah. that it's always been like what God has desired to be like, I am, I mean, who, again, it's hard to articulate how like this plan was in place, but that G that dwelling with us was always part of the plan. That was like, I can't wait to come. I'm just and reconcile. always so curious about the timing. Like I, I said of everything of like, why, <laughs> like, why then, why then? Like why, uh, 
all of this groundwork that we don't understand and like what's been happening since then. Cause I think that we look at the Bible sometimes as like, okay, this is the completion of God's story. Hmm. And, yeah. and it's, that it's not, it's not, it's right. beginning. It's an, a starting point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just blows my mind. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to get too far away from the no. Christmas story specifically. That's right. People I'm, tuned in for Christmas. Yes. Merry <laughs> Christmas. Uh, so let's jump into the gospels for a little bit. Fun. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, um, we're, we mostly depend on the gospel, uh, gospels of Matthew and Luke to, mm-hmm walk us through the Christmas story, because I don't think that John has a birth story. Mm-hmm. Um, Neither Mark, does Mark. Yeah. Mark doesn't either. Yeah. So we're, we're typically in Matthew and Luke. And um, so at the very beginning of this Christmas story, so we've, now we've given a little bit of hazy backstory <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of the millions of years of leading up to this moment. Mm. Um one of the very first things that we we normally learn in the timeline of the Christmas story is the angel Gabriel appearing mm-hmm. to Mary mm-hmm. uh, to tell her the good news, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I would have felt right. like it was good news if I was Mary. But right. um, I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through that encounter between Gabriel and Mary. Yeah. And um the significance of that encounter within the context of Christmas and, and through the lens of the big picture, what I'm wondering is like, what else is Gabriel known for? Is this Mm. our first introduction to Gabriel or Mm -hmm. has Gabriel carried other messages before? Like what is the significance of this moment in the big picture? Yeah. So we don't get a lot of what they call angelophanies. It's, is that Sound, a real word? Yes. Angelophanies? Yeah, because the theophany is an appearance of God. So an angelophany is the, I might be adding too many syllables to it, but <laughs> the appearances of angels Love that. throughout uh, scripture. So we don't get a lot of them. One of them for, uh, one of them happens in Daniel and that is Gabriel. Um, that's one of the few the only other time outside of Luke that he, Gabriel is uh, Gabriel appears and he appears to Daniel and can helps him to interpret dreams. Um, and Daniel is a, not a prophetic book, but it's um, contains some really fascinating things looking at the future. Daniel talks about um, encompasses more than like a history. It's uh, a lot about, um, not end times in like scary ways, but sort of, sort of like revelation. So Gabriel appears in Daniel and interprets dreams. And then we see him in the, in Luke chapter one, before he comes to Mary, he actually comes to, uh, Zechariah and, Oh, I jumped in the story. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. So he appears to Zechariah saying, Hey, your wife is going to bear a son. Um, and, then that's and that's Elizabeth is his wife and John the Baptist is his son, um, which parallels how then John the Baptist and how he, and that's sort of what Gabriel tells him. It's like, hey, your son is going to uh, share about something really big that's going to happen. The somebody who will deliver us. And then um, in the with it, the very next thing that happens is that. Mary gets a visit from Gabriel then. So Gabriel is, um, angels by definition are messengers. They carry a message from God, uh, in a very, uh, scary, scary, (laughs) scary way. (laughs) They, I mean, they are just coming. I mean, it's like, they often are described with like all this different, like the glory of God is around them and people are always afraid of them. Um, And so he comes and tells Mary um, the story that we all know, Mary, you are, um, God has has shown favor on you. You will carry, um, you will carry a, conceive a new, a son, um, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will be no end. Um, and then we that this is where we find out that it's going to be a virgin birth, that the Holy Spirit will uh, fall upon Mary and she will bear Jesus that way. Um, 
so looking at it, having never, if you've never heard that story, that's a really weird, uh, weird story, but it confirms the, it's confirms Jesus's humanity of being fully Mary's son, but also fully God's son, that there is no denial that, uh, that Jesus is a son of God, um, is the son of God. His mother was, had, was a virgin. There is no way that this could have happened outside of God. I would like to dive into the virgin thing for a little bit, which I'm sure you knew I'd want to. Sure. Obviously. (laughs) One of the interpretations that I've understood Um, that I'm not sure whether or not it's accurate is the word. um, And I guess it would have been Aramaic. Would it have been Aramaic or Greek? So I know, yes, I know where you're coming from because I have notes about that. Matthew is where it quotes and says all all the time, this is to fulfill the scriptures. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel. So that word that Matthew writes literally there, virgin, uh, is Greek. All the gospels, New Testament are written in Greek. Um, But what he is quoting is a scripture, is an Old Testament scripture, Hebrew scripture. So that's Hebrew. It was originally written in Hebrew, but then we have what's called the Septuagint, which was the, the Hebrew texts, the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek that came 400 years before Jesus because the, because of this, the hell, like the Greek empire and then the Roman empire, um, Greek became the more, um, came was more like the lingua franca like it was the common language so before jesus the hebrew scriptures had already Mm -hmm. been translated into greek yeah Yeah. okay and so the hebrew word is uh is young woman um it's there's they have a separate word for virgin and for some reason the person who translated the septuagint uh the people it was got to be a team, uh, chose, um, the Greek word then that they used could be, could mean virgin or young woman. And so then that's the gospel writer of Matthew counter going back and saying that this word is, see, it's virgin. So we don't know how the usage of the word maybe has had changed and maybe it's not a specifically trying to fit. Maybe that really had adapt the word meaning had adapted to specifically only mean virgin. But uh, when it was translated, the, if you want to look at how it was first ever written, it would have said young woman. Uh, so there's, that's where you get some, uh, politics with translation okay i'd also read with the word virgin of the way that we look at it today it's very much in a physical sexual sense but i had also read that there was a different understanding of Mm -hmm. the word virgin and Mm -hmm. what it meant is whole and complete and it Uh, didn't it wasn't necessarily limited to physical it could mean spiritually whole Hmm. and complete yeah Um, and so I was curious about that. If you had heard anything about that as well of like that, how we have, um, taken a word and put it into a modern day context, not how we understand. Of course we could do this with just about anything from scripture because context is constantly changing and words have different meanings to different groups of people. Um, but I, I've just always found that interesting as yeah. like we put so much emphasis on the importance yeah. of the virgin birth yeah. is the sign that this is a child of God. Right. But is that the sign? You know, the, I mean, I think that's a really good point to say, is this, does your whole faith unravel if it, the ver- the word virgin wasn't the word virgin? Yeah. Um. So I would point to and say, I don't think that's the only thing. I think that's um, always trying to, they're always looking to scripture to see, not 
to fit, but to inform sort of who Jesus is. And so um, I wouldn't say it's the singular sign because with a lot of scholars think that that scripture that comes from Isaiah was talking about King Ahaz's wife. So it's not even like they were necessarily prophesying this about this future savior, um, imagining a Messiah born thousands of years later. Um, so I would not say that it is the singular, um, but you're right. We do put a lot of emphasis on it and it is not in other religions. The only time you see a virgin birth. Um, so it's not like we came up with that on our own either. Yeah. It feels to me to be, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Allegory. I don't know, but it, it feels it's the same with resurrection, mm-hmm. like resurrection. Okay, is sure. A, a theme sort of. That's yeah. Throughout. Yeah. I'm going to cut all this, but sure, sure, sure. No, I know. <laughs> but I'm yeah, it's um, across multiple religions mm-hmm. like Jesus was not the first ever resurrection, even within the Bible. Jesus was not the first resurrection. Right. And in other faiths and other religions, there is resurrection that happens. And it's the same in other faiths and other religions. There are virgin births. Sure. And so I'm wondering if it's less about the physicality of it and more about what this idea represents. Right. As it represents an innocence it represents a, a pure, pure I hate pureness. The word no, but purity <laughs> yeah. of heart, like yeah. a purity of faith of like Mary is was so uh faithful to yeah. God um that her heart was it's so turned yeah, yeah turned to God. And that's why yeah. I really liked this description of like the word virgin meaning whole or mm. complete of mm. like I like to imagine Mary in that way of like it's not about her physicality because sure. I have issue with that because women are reduced to their physicality all the time. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I think that the role of Mary did create an archetype for women of sure. like, are you a Mary or are you a whatever Jezebel Jezebel, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And so it kind of put like sexuality on a pedestal mm-hmm. in a different way. And so I like to think of it in terms and whether it's true or not of like, it's not about her physicality. It's about her wholeness and her mm-hmm. completeness and her oneness mm-hmm. with God. Yeah. And she was a person who was so at one with God mm-hmm. that God chose her to carry yeah. the light of the world. Right. And so that to me puts like that's Mary, giving me tingles <laughs> like that maybe right I there. won't cut it um <laughs> that to me puts Mary in a a whole different mm. dimension mm-hmm. and yeah. it gives her depth yes she's so much more than, than a husk yes carrying right. God yes you know yes so I just I've always kind of lingered on that idea of mm-hmm. virgin and mm-hmm. like what are we really saying when right. we say that yeah. and what implications are put on that Mm -hmm. are put on her Mm -hmm. and the way that we view women Mm -hmm. um I don't know yeah that's I'm shocked (laughs) big picture thinking (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I'm here for it um okay back into the narrative uh so I, I know we're just going to hit like bits and pieces sure. of the story. We can't go through can't every little detail of the Christmas story. Yeah. So I hope it's maybe so y'all open up Matthew and, and Luke, Luke and yeah. read through it uh, for yourselves. I'd love to talk about like the big picture of the players yeah. in the story. Because I think that I find the shepherds to be some of the most interesting and significant mm-hmm. characters who are brought yeah. in to this story. Um and I, I know you, we, we've had this conversation before, so I'd love for you to share kind of your views on like, why are the shepherds mm. even a part of this story? Like yeah. why were, because when you look at the role of shepherds in society at that time, like there is no reason that they would be the people to receive Mm-mm. the glory of a host of angels singing that Christ is, mm-hmm. you know, 
yeah. coming. Yeah. So could you give us a little bit of a, a look into that? And I mean, we can talk about the Magi and, and sure. all of that as well, but uh, just the players that are specifically mentioned in this story that are yeah. just kind of unexpected. It, it is. It's if you were looking at this, having the f- uh, no context, like r- hearing this for the first time, um, it would be so strange that it, the next move after Jesus, after this baby is born, that the next, the next part of the story is that there were shepherds watching their flock by night. It's like, why? <laughs> Who cares what they're doing? That the, and then why would why is why are these people these insignificant? I'm doing air quotes. People, uh, the ones who whom these angels appear and receive this news first. Um, I think I among uh, am among the people who I say when people we tend to think of shepherds of having this very pastoral and uh picturesque job they're like, like little like, hobbits in the field they, they just ha- sit on the you know meditation yeah and they just watch their their sheepies and every once in a while they sort of no 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 and it's like <laughs> okay this I f- don't think about because we don't live in a pastoral society we don't live in a uh f- agricultural society that the shepherds had like that was the worst job uh is gross and as dangerous as heck um especially if you were one of the shepherds watching by night um you had to stay up at night it was cold is windy you're in um you know the in the wilderness essentially uh you so you have to have your own source of light and heat and then you have to make sure that sheep don't wander off and you got to protect them from wolves and thieves and um you know you're walking through just the wilderness um so it's like it would be like I was trying to equate it of I can't think of an exact job but somebody I mean maybe like how you see construct people who are working on the actual physical roads at night and you're like god I would not want to have that job of you know you're working in that tar and um it's the middle of the night and you're having you know it's cold and uncomfortable and then that's who the glory of god appears to um kind of that gives me the most I think that get that is what one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is mm-hmm. that that's the first people who get to hear this and the more I was thinking about it I was like thinking that this is who God wanted to make sure got the message yeah. that the son of God is here and it's a jo- of news of great joy for all people because that includes you if if it if it's truly for all people because God is telling first the lowliest, the most outcast people um, that because they would never be the first to know anything. Um, When a King was born, there would be, you know, a public uh, or a, like a Royal, you know, announcement and only the people who weren't working would find out about it first. Um, So these people would be the last to know anything important, but God is like, I'm getting the news directly to the people who I need to know this good news. Mm-hmm. Um, For when I was thinking of a comparison today, it made me think of like migrant workers mm. who um, maybe are undocumented yeah. or who, and are just literally living day to day and like taking any, and they're so taken advantage of. Mm. And they are like, honestly like the backbone of our society sure. is like yeah. making sure that work is getting done. Buildings mm-hmm. are getting built like just day laborers who are picked up and put to work yeah and they are so oppressed they are not listened to they are not cared for by society yeah Yeah. they're outcast you see them as replaceable Mm -hmm. like and to imagine like jesus is coming back and jesus is showing up in the you know local parking lot yeah yeah, right yeah the nearest parking lot and talking first to the migrant workers Mm -hmm. um it's a really cool comparison to think about and I think that it it kind of makes you um 
it turns a lot of things on its head. Yes. In yes. terms of like how you think of yourself and mm-hmm. the role I play and um, why why would I not be one of the first people to right. know I've devoted my life to Christ. Right. Like I work at the church. Right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> no, the like when I think rereading this, I was like, oh, I absolutely would not be even among the first. I bet the Pharisees would have been really annoyed when they read this story or hear this story to be like, like, the shepherds, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, right. No, I don't know about it. Then it's not happening. Right. Okay. (laughs) How can I not be among the first to know I'm the most faithful. And so then that just shows, tells us who God wants to hear the message. Um, because even maybe by the time it gets down, it would have gotten down to the shepherds. It's it's not. It's, it's a different, diluted. It's diluted. It's a different message by the, the somehow wealthy who yeah, have or manipulated the message in some way to or the continue the oppression, right? Yeah, or the Pharisees <laughs> in some way have you know put stipulations on it, and it's like God is getting the message straight where God wants it. Yeah. So that's why I love. I absolutely. Uh, just love this part of the story, and it tie it ties the whole thing together. Of that, Jesus is then uh called, you know, compares himself as to be a shepherd. Uh, his the line of David that he comes from, David is as a shepherd. So there, there's this other like larger story of what is a shepherd. Um, and Maybe we should have more classes around shepherding. <laughs> I mean, there's so much, like there's so much richness mm-hmm. there around like the shepherding culture and like every little tidbit I learn about what it meant to be a shepherd there. I'm like, there. Oh my gosh. It is just drenched in metaphor yeah, and like understanding absolutely. the way God functions. Cause like this encounter with the shepherds, we can look at it just in the picture of this mm-hmm. Christmas story, or we can look at it bigger and say, this is painting a picture of who God is, mm-hmm. how God functions, who uh-huh. God uh, is coming for, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And even speaking back into some of the prophecies talk about a shepherd king, um, that it's a shepherd who, or a king who has these shepherd like qualities. So then, I mean, there you go. It just tie, it, it ties everything together. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, the Magi? So we've, so they come after, I know it's like more when Jesus is two or three years old. So we've done the whole, like Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, the mm-hmm. angels reveal to the shepherds, the shepherds show up dead. The, Jesus is born. Yay. Mm. In a manger, you know, like all this, the most lowly and humble of births, which we could get into that right. too. But I think y'all are pretty familiar right. with that side of the story, but it's just a continuing of painting the picture of who God is, who Jesus is like yeah. the most humble circumstances mm-hmm. that you can imagine. Right. Um, and it is like, among the people, I am one of the people, mm-hmm. you know, I yeah. will suffer alongside you yeah, <laughs> in I've, this world. There's nothing that I, you going through that God isn't going through. Yeah. Kind of- um, and so all of that has happened. Yay. Happy yeah. birthday. Happy um, birthday, Jesus. <laughs> and then we uh, have a, a few different things. So we have like the Magi mm-hmm. who show up. Mm-hmm. Like, who are they? What? Yeah, it just who feels like it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> like, does. how does this, like, how is this a part of the bigger story? Yeah, this does feel like it comes out of nowhere. Um, so the Magi are, sometimes we call them wise men. Um, they're the three kings. The three although kings. Although they weren't kings. Although they weren't, ki- correct. Yeah. They were not kings. And there may have been more than three of them. Yeah. We just, but anyway, uh, they're like astrologers, uh, sort of, um, magicians of kinds where they so they sort of were vis- had visions and so that we see a lot of people like that in uh in the old testament of those were sort of the the gentile people like uh a lot of the rulers looked to m- people like that um the magicians and the astrologers so they were literally people who read the stars and so for some reason or another there there is a star that they have that god has somehow led them to say like this is one of significance so uh 
why they show up, it's, I mean, who knows exactly why they show up, but uh, some ideas about their role is that it's showing that this is not just for the Jewish people, but this is, and this is not just a, um, a savior of the Jewish people, but this is something that's speaking to all people, that all people um, are recipients of this good news and um, get to get to benefit from this good news, but also can tell that something is going on. Um, so there are signs that God is speaking through all in all ways that can point to this being a a change in the world. That's really interesting to me. I don't know if I've thought about it from that perspective before of like just the presence of the Magi was an invitation beyond Judaism Mm -hmm. to say like, this is for everybody. And even the thought of like, I have always heard them referred to as astronomers, not Mm. astrologers, which is, uh, and oh, maybe I just I might have misspoken. Well, no, but like astrology, they read stars. Yeah. astrology in and of itself is a spiritual practice as well. Sure. And so this thought that um, a spiritual practice that is already held is leading them to God. When I the, find really yeah. interesting of like, it's not even, it's not, it's not limited by religion. It's not mm. limited by a specific set of beliefs or mm. faith. This is literally for everyone. Mm. And you can be led to Christ by literally anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not to get into the all paths lead to God. Sure. Sort of. <laughs> mentality but um god can speak through all there is god's goodness in so many things Mm -hmm. that and it's not limited Mm -hmm. i think that's a really cool way to to think about it um maybe astrologer slash astronomer but it makes perfect sense to me that they would be astrologers because I know that King Herod was depending on their wisdom because they went to King Herod first and was like, hey, we found the this written in the stars or this We're is significant. Following, we've seen yeah. the star. Uh, do you know who this is about? We're mapping <laughs> He's like, this. <laughs> no, I don't. But that, what that says to me is like, this is probably not the first time King mm. Herod has. Probably not consulted with astrologers on or been visit yeah how are things unfolding sure you know yeah and so they also are people who had a place in power in authority Um, oh absolutely the kings relied on them yeah all kinds of stuff yeah Yeah. and then they kind of tricked herod because herod was trying to manipulate them and, and yeah yeah they were warned in a dream matthew is all about dreams and luke is all about angels like mm-hmm. if you kind of like in patterns that you if you know you're never going to be tested on it hopefully <laughs> like if you have to identify if the script the scripture about uh jesus birth angels is Luke and dreams are in Matthew. So that's also interesting because uh the angel Gabriel is like the interpreter of dreams mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, I know all... it does kind of make it con- but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um well speaking of dreams, so mm-hmm. after the Magi come, which is like I love thinking of it as this invitation of like for everyone. Mm-hmm. This is for everyone. Um then Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt. Yeah. And we don't really talk about that part of the story that much in the Christmas narrative. Is there any bigger story surrounding that that we should know about or understand as part of this big picture? Um, so there is the, the scripture that Matthew will always say, this is to fulfill a scripture. So there is a scripture about, um, that my son will come out of Egypt. And so this could be to identify Jesus as, as a identify Jesus with Moses, that Jesus is like a new Moses. Um, this is one of the first things, but then, you know, he brings a new law. Um, so in that way, he is like Moses. So Moses was also, uh, not only in Egypt, but, uh, that he was, the alone survivor baby of a massacre of genocide of, of the Hebrew baby boys. Um, so it's, I think a lot of that is to parallel Moses. Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, like all of these little breadcrumbs in the mm. story that it's just, and again, I don't know, like, is this created or is it true to fact? You sure, know? sure. Um, does it matter? Does it matter? Stories I'm not are sure. so powerful. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's historically every word is exactly as it happened, I, it's almost, uh, I mean, we believe that that the truth of it is -hmm. what happened. Well, that's one of the things that's always been helpful to me. One of our, our former pastors here, uh, Reverend Camille May would have conversations with me about, uh, there is a difference between fact and truth. Mm. And if you are searching for fact, you will always come up short Mm. because we just don't have all of the information. And so what we want to look for in scripture is Mm. the truth Yeah, and finding like, what is, what is the nugget of gold, Mm. you know, Mm. and all of this that we can live by that we can cling to. And so what is that in the Christmas story? Mm. So we've talked about all of this big picture of like, this has been unfolding for millennia. There are prophecies that have been pointing to this. The players in the story are, uh, it's not just characters. Like it's a big deal who Mm -hmm. is included Mm -hmm. in this narrative. Yeah. What is the nugget of truth that we can sift through all of this and find the true message that's being sent for Christmas? Mm. I think I'll go back to that. God is with us. Um, And of course we, God has always been with us, but this just whole new level of what that that means um that god the god of hope the god of salvation is with us and loves loves us because he is with with is with us because he loves us um it just adds a whole element of that no other I can't think of any other religion or philosophy that can articulate a love like this, that having being unfolding for millennia upon millennia, um, to be, to humble, to be so humble as, and loving of a God as to come to be with us, um, it's not very articulate, but just, I think the only, (laughs) only way, the only a nugget, succinct nugget would be that God is with us. Mm. How do you see that truth and that story continuing today? Mm. Because we, we already talked about like, this is not the end of the story. This Mm -hmm. is not the completion of the story of God. This is the beginning of Mm -hmm. the story of God. And we are also a part of that big Mm -hmm. picture. We're a part of that story. Mm -hmm. Where do you see that today? Mm. Um, man, I see God being with us all or all around, um, that God is with us and then with, with the Holy spirit and all another adds another element of how, what does that mean then for God to be with us, that God is with us and making and, uh, transforming us, always making us new. I see God with us in healed relationships in people finding hope um in any story of hope that death and sadness that tears are not ever the end um god is with us oh man um i do see it in the church i know we sometimes talk about how there's things that we wish about the capital c church that you know that they the church gets wrong, but I do see that the church um, offers the message of hope, of true, the true message of Christ, of God being with us, of God reconciling and God loving unconditionally. Um, I mean, by the very fact that, we, that the church still exists. Well, and I, I do think that there is a reason, and like you said, we get it wrong all the time. Right. Like the church, we are (laughs) full of imperfect people, of course. Yeah. But I do think that there is a reason that people, whether you're religious or not, oftentimes 
when you're at the bottom of the barrel and you feel like you have nothing left and you're just, you're seeking some sort of like belonging and love and comfort, people wander into a church. Mm -hmm. Like that's where they're drawn Mm -hmm. of like, I need somewhere to find peace. I need Mm -hmm. somewhere to find rest. Mm -hmm. I need somewhere to find someone who will listen to me. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they find themselves in a church Mm -hmm. and, um, that's a beautiful testament to like, and again, we get it wrong all the time. Right. But the fact that that still seems to be a place that people know is somewhere that they can find comfort and hope Mm -hmm. and, and a connection Mm -hmm. to something bigger than themselves, bigger than their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's the continuation of the story of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think, and it's, again, it's going back to the small things that make up the big picture and just constantly feeling small and insignificant, but Mm -hmm. getting to feel a part of something bigger. Yeah. Um, it's in it's in the liberation of people yeah. from whatever it is physical or systematic things or just personal uh things to overcome that right. there's this liberation that's where i see god with us um and trans in the transformation of the world that yeah. when things are being made right that's where i see god with us when things uh when things are being turned on their head for the better. Um, and it's painful it's, oh, and it's, God. yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's difficult and it's anger and it's rage and it's sadness and it's turmoil and it's suffering. And it's all of these things mm-hmm. when it gets turned on its head, mm-hmm. but it's all part of that process working towards God's good, getting mm-hmm. better, doing better, mm-hmm. learning better. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like the big picture is full of the small moments. Mm-hmm. It's the small moments. And I think that sometimes we look back on the Christmas story, having it in a little picture frame mm-hmm. and saying, oh, look at that nativity. Isn't that yeah. sweet? You know, because we know the whole story mm-hmm. and we can put all of those puzzle pieces together so nicely. Mm-hmm. But for the people at the time to think like from even from these prophecies to the birth of Jesus, 800 mm-hmm. years, like it's the little tiny mm-hmm. moments that just build and build and build that we can look back on now and say, oh, I see how that picture came together. Mm-hmm. But at the time, like they probably feel like we feel now they're looking at the world. Everything looks like it's upside down. Everything looks like it's not working and Mm -hmm. everything's just falling apart. And like when God, when are you going to fix this? Like when are, and it's just all these. And I I don't know. It's just the putting yourself in the experience of what they may have been thinking, feeling, doing then, and the amount of hope that was in the world at that Mm. time, I don't think that hope has left. Right. I think that's, I think that is a good encapsulation of what the Christmas story offers. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this (laughs) with me. Um, This is going to be our last podcast of 2023, our last episode. Um, We're going to take a little break over Advent and prepare for Jesus to get born <laughs> all right let's let's and prepare then, yeah and then we'll be back in january uh for the new year so i hope that y'all have a wonderful advent a merry christmas a happy new year and tune back in with us at the life plus god podcast uh in january of 2024 yeah see you in 2024 The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.